This week on Writers Inc. They in, invariably asked, you know, well, what do you write? What's, and I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give people a little more because if you say, I've noticed if you say horror right off the bat, it turns so many people off, which is sad because it's funny because I start talking to people and they're reading, you know, James Patterson and they're reading, you know, Lee Child and things like that, and it's like that's just a stone's throw away from horror, anyways. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. What's up, J.D.? So the construction hell has, has gotten worse. It's getting worse. It's supposed to be getting <laughs> it's better. Getting, it's supposed to be. Um, so the steps that we found, um, you know, I, I mentioned that like part of my, my front yard is, is town property. So I, I got a letter yesterday from, from the town basically saying that I've got to restore town property back to the way it was be, before we unearthed these steps. Um, so I passed that on to my attorney and I'm going to pretend I didn't see it and try not to think about it. But it, it essentially means that I'm in for a little bit of a battle with, with my, my new neighbors. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so looking forward to that. Um, what's going on with you? Um, was, I'm, I'm knee deep in, in the draft turn in screenplay. So uh, that, that's been exciting and um, just been working on that almost nonstop. So uh, uh, hopefully that'll be, that'll be ready for the next stage pretty soon. Cool. I, I saw some neat things in the news this week. I don't know if you caught this, but Audible's rolling out something called Audible Plus. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's basically an all-you-can-eat audiobook service. Um, so I'm curious to see how that's going to go. I'm I'm also curious to see what they're actually going to include in that catalog because I I don't know if you've got any gotten any emails from them, but I've got one from each book that I have um, in ACX or in Audible, um, basically telling me that this this thing exists um but they haven't actually said we're going to include this title or we're not going to include this title i haven't seen anything that, that basically says that um so i'm, I'm curious if, if they're going to give us as the creators the option to put stuff in there or if they're going to hand pick or, mm. or how that's all going to work i i haven't seen anything for that yet yeah i i'd i'd love to know what your thoughts are on the consumer side like i when I, when I, I, granted, there's very little information out about it right now, but I don't know, like, if it's a Kindle Unlimited kind of thing, uh, it, that could really hurt Findaway Voices and, and distribution wide if um, people who are already on Audible get a flat fee and can listen to unlimited audiobooks. Yeah, and that, honestly, that's probably their intent, right? They probably yeah. want to shut these guys down before they get a chance to get a foothold out there. Um, whether or not this will do it, who, who knows? I mean, I, I look, um, I, I checked out Scribd or Scribd. I, one of these days I need to figure out how you, how you pronounce that. Um, you know, my wife has been using it for a while now because it's a similar deal. I think she pays $10 a month and she can listen to whatever audiobook she wants. Um, and the catalog, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's got like maybe 60% of what I would actually want to listen to. Yeah. Um, you know, it does, it doesn't have everything. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you've got Netflix, you've got HBO, you've got all these movie services at home, but you know, the one movie you want to watch isn't on any of them. So you have to, you have to go out there and buy it. 
Um, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. What I'm hoping they do, and I haven't seen any pricing yet really for this. I'm hoping that they give, you know, people that are paying on you know, the credit system, um, you know, like a, you know, from a, let's say three bucks, you get access to the unlimited catalog or something like that on top of what you're already paying. Like I, I would pay for that. Um, but I, I don't know if that's how they're going to work it or if it's just going to be a flat fee for, you know, all you can eat, like I was saying, and then it's just, you know, select books and, you know, who knows how that's all going to play out. I think it's, I think the catalyst for this is Spotify. I, I think with Spotify yeah. making a big play for the audio market and eventually having books and having a subscription model, a flat rate subscription model, I think, I think this is Amazon with a preemptive strike. Yeah. And I really hope from a creator standpoint, it, it doesn't do what it did to the music industry, to the, the rest of us where, you know, we're like now we're getting a $20 fee, we, you know, that gets chopped down to like $2 or, or something yeah. smaller. Like, and, and I can see that, you know, like that may be where this is all heading. It's, it's really hard to, hard to see. Yep. Um, what else did it? Oh, Amazon. Um, I got an email from them. They're allowing sponsored product ads for Canada and Australia. Yes. Yes. So are, are you doing any of that or not yet? Um, but I do have, uh, I do have my, an AMS ad guy on the, on the nine things working on the nine things series. And, uh, we're definitely going to open that up to those new markets. Yeah. I'm going to give it a shot, but like, I, I really want to get a handle on the U S market first. Yeah. Like I, I really don't feel like I, I, you know, like I've got a much better understanding of it, especially using press on now. Um, but I'm, I'm nowhere near where I want to be on, on that. So I think before I start rolling it out in any kind of scale, I, I, I really want to, you know, understand exactly where every dollar is going and understand exactly what that, that dollar is burning back for me, because right now I couldn't tell you, you know, I, I, you know, I, I honestly think I'm outspending what's actually coming in. Um, but you know, I really have to sit down and and break out the numbers and I haven't had time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good though. I mean, it's, uh, it's self-serving for Amazon clearly, but, uh, you know, maybe it'll allow us to reach new markets that uh, haven't been tapped yet. Yeah. And I, I got an email this morning and, and this one was really disturbing. So movie theaters are reopening. I don't know if you've, you've noticed that. Um, last week they had a, a Russell Crowe movie that they launched. Um, I think it was called Unhinged. Um, and I, I went and pulled the stats on it, but it was a fairly limited release. It was on 1,823 screens and it brought in $4 million, um, which the studio was excited about, which I, I guess they should be. But like, you know, if you go back and, and look at movies before COVID, a typical movie would open on about 6,000 screens. Um, and, I'm, and I'm guessing a movie like this would probably earn somewhere in like maybe the 30 to $60 million, million range, like something like that. Um, but it, you know, it's basically them putting their, their toe in the, the water. Um, but the real big release, the one that they seem to be hanging everything on is this weekend. Have you heard what it is? No, it's Bill and Ted. Oh, the reboot. Yeah. 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 The, the reboot. So like, you know, I, I saw the commercial for this and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, am I really going to risk death you know, <laughs> to go, to go and see a Bill and Ted movie? You know, like yeah. may, maybe if, maybe a new Godfather movie, like that might get me to, to do it. But like Bill and Ted, like I love Bill and Ted, you know, wild stallions and you know, some, that kind of thing, but I don't know. Um, so, so we'll have to see what happens. Um, I, I don't yeah. know anybody going to, to go to the theater at this point. Like I, I still don't even want to go to the grocery store or the, the gas station. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked Bill and Ted 30 years ago. I, I don't know how, the, how it's going to play now, you know? Well, the, those bastards look exactly the same, which drives me nuts. <laughs> I, I don't know what's in the water out in California, but I, I think they just take all the, the big stars and they just freeze dry and become big. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I heard that, uh, Mike Judge is bringing back Beavis and Butthead, but they're animated. So, you know, I, I'm sure uh, the, the big question with Beavis and Butthead is, are they going to age or not? Are they going to come back as teenagers? So. Oh, man. Well, I remember there being a couple episodes where they were adults, right? Yeah. Like that? flash you know, forward they, episodes. Yeah. They, they had the scruffy beard and receding yeah. hairline and all that. But <laughs> uh, I love Beavis and Butthead. I, yeah. I, 
that, that might actually get me to the theater. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who do we have on today? So we have Joe Hart on today. Joe Hart. Okay. Yeah. Thriller writer, horror writer, uh, really great guy, um, lives in Minnesota and, um, first met him through some other writers when I was doing the horror writers podcast. And, uh, he's, um, he's got some books with Thomas and Mercer with the, which is the Amazon imprint and, um, and, and writes really great dark stuff. So I'm, uh, I'm really interested to talk to him. It's been a few years since we chatted, so uh, it should be a fun catch up. Cool. Looking forward to it. All right. Here he is, Joe Hart. It's been a while since we talked, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's good to see you. Yeah. Likewise. I was thinking it was, uh, probably a few years ago on the horror writers podcast. Yes. I think it's been that long. Yeah. We have a few emails and stuff shooting back and forth, but I think it's been yeah. that long since we, uh, we had a call and chat Man. and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Too long, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. How you been? Good, good. I'm excited. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the new podcast with, uh, JD and I, it's super cool and, um, really interested to catch up with you. You got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. No, I'm excited to, excited to hang out a little bit and, and chat. No, it's yeah, good. cool. I thought, uh, a good place to start would be on your webpage. Cause I, and I don't know if you had all this up, uh, last time we talked, but you had, uh, the number, these are the, the items in the number one slot for books. It was the road for movies. It was Shaun of the dead. Yeah. Uh, fight club was second, uh, yeah. for TV, it was the walking dead. And for music, it was Metallica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, the only the only thing I would swap for me would be Shaun of the Dead and Fight Club. Other than that, I would I would have the same ones in those positions. <laughs> That's so, right on. So I'm, I'm wondering, yeah. what does that say about you? I don't know, man. I don't know. We're a couple of dark individuals, I think. Uh, no, I mean, I I love. I mean, of course, I'm a I'm a horror junkie, you know, and I love all that stuff. So I've kind of fallen off of The Walking Dead and whatnot in the seasons, but. But no, I love the first, you know, four or five seasons and, you know, watch it all the time and stuff. But no, it's, uh, that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> my jam, you know, it's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, why don't, uh, you have a, I think you have a pretty interesting and unique story. Why don't you just kind of tell us about your author journey and, and sort of where you started and, and, and kind of where you are now, where you've ended up now. Right. Right. Sure. Well, yeah, I just kind of started out, uh, basically, <laughs> Kind of just writing uh it was it was really started at a screenplay when i first started kind of getting serious about about writing and i'd never written a screenplay before and so i read a few screenplay books you know sid field books and different things like that um on the format and whatnot so got that down pat and then did that and then kind of did a trunk novel and set that aside and then started on some short horror stories which became my first collection that i self-published and uh and then after that, it was just kind of novels. Novels kept coming to me. And so I self-published, I think, I want to say three or four uh, novels before I wrote kind of my first standalone thriller. And that was the one that kind of garnered the attention of um, uh, acquisitions editor over at Thomas Mercer. And, uh, and she uh, contacted me and said, hey, I think, you know, T&M would be a great home for you and for your work and whatnot. And, you know, and yeah, we just kind of hit it off and, and I've been publishing on and off with them ever since for the last, I want to say, let's see, gosh, it's got to be four or five years now I've been with them and whatnot. So um, career, you know, kind of started in like 2011 um, and and that's kind of where I ended up now. So now I got, I got a couple books now that are done and they're just kind of floating and we're going to see where they land and kind of what, where they're going to find a home and whatnot. So, um, 
So that's kind of bringing, you know, up to current date and stuff. So it's, it's been, I've been really fortunate. It's been a wild ride and, and lots of fun and um, always working on something new. And yeah, just been, just been good. Just Where did good. the love of horror come from? You know, I think, well, I was, I was definitely, I think from my sister uh, being, she's 10 years older than me. So then she always had Stephen King books and Dean Coons <laughs> books laying around, you know, so I'm, I'm seven, eight, nine years old wandering around and I pick up a paperback in a room and start reading, you know? So I think I read, uh, the shining when I was 10 or 11 and it right after that. And just, you know, so I was hooked after that. Um, yeah. and then of course, um, like goosebumps read all of those when I was, you know, when I was younger and whatnot, that was, that was great. And, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I love being scared. And I was like sitting there, you know, that, that weird experience where you, you're sitting alone with a book and you're frightened out of your mind. And it was just such a fun feeling. It was almost like a safe, fright. You know, you're, you're, you're safe, but you're still afraid. And I thought, what if I could do this? What if I could, what if I could, you know, create the same feeling in someone else? And, uh, yeah, it was just, I was kind of an addictive type thing. So, yeah. That's... Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know if you hear this, but I, I, you know, people have these expectations about who a horror writer is or, or maybe what they look like or what they do. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Do you fit that stereotype at all? Are you sort of a dark brooding living in a cave, uh, <laughs> sacrificing goats in the backyard? Are you doing that kind of stuff, Joe? Yeah. I mean, just once or twice a month. You know what I mean? But no. No, it's, I, I know what you're saying, though. I get that a lot. Like, when, whenever I, I almost dread it a little bit when people ask, you know, like, what do you do? And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm an author, which is fun to talk about, you know, the business side of things and, and you know, how you came about doing it and things like that. But then they in, invariably ask, you know, well, what do you write? Well, it's, and I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to give people a little more, because if you say, I've noticed if you say horror right off the bat, it turns so many people off, which is sad because it's funny because I start talking to people and they're reading, you know, James Patterson and they're reading, you know, Lee Child and things like that. And it's like, that's just a stone's throw away from horror anyways. You know, a lot of these thrillers delve into that. I mean, John Sanford, I mean, those are, those are some of those are brutal books. There's, there's more gore in those and than a lot of horror stories that I've read and whatnot. So it's funny. I kind of tap into that and I'll just say, Oh, you know, if you like, if you like Stephen King or if you like James Patterson or if you like Dean Koontz or, you know, any of the supernatural stuff or things like that. And, and then people are like a little more tuned to say, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, I read this or whatever. And you kind of open up a dialogue. But if you jump right in both feet, I'm a horror writer, you know, and like people are like, oh, OK, back away. Slowly, you know? um, do, but, you, yeah. do you find that people have uh, I mean, thrillers and uh, a thriller and a horror uh, book are are really both genre fiction, right? But there seems to be more of a social acceptance with thrillers than than horror. Uh, do you find do you find people who, who say like, oh, I would never read horror, but then they read a lot of thrillers? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. constantly, constantly, yeah. It's it's it's. I think you're right. I think it's that socially acceptable thing to read because it's such a big genre, it's such a uh, popular genre, you know. That it's and there's so many TV shows and movies and everything. It's you know, thrillers are are just such a big, you know, piece of the pie as far as genre fiction. And um, yeah, it's, I think it's a little more socially acceptable. Although I've seen, I know I've seen a lot of people talk about kind of more of a, like a renaissance in horror in the last five, eight years, you know, you're having a lot of these more, and I hate to say it because even some of the, the people invested in them and stuff are calling it like a, what did somebody call it the other day? Elevated horror, <laughs> which I always think it's kind of like, just, you know, it's just, 
it's, it's horror, just horror. You know, it's horror. <laughs> you know, so I mean, things like you know, The Witch and mm-hmm. Midsummer, and um, you know, some of the things like that, what Hereditary, you know, and and whatnot. So I mean, those those seem to be very popular. Uh, whereas people, I think they they yeah, they try to skew you know the genre a little bit, and and then say, well, it's okay now because it's it, this is people are watching this and and it's popular and things like that, but. Yeah, thriller is such a huge, you know, just popular part of the genre. So yeah. I wonder if there's some nostalgia in there too. I mean, with uh, Stranger Things and American Horror Story 1984, the, there seems to be a, you know, coming back to the the good old days of the slasher films, your Freddy Kruegers and Jason, yeah. and and yeah. and people kind of, I don't know that it doesn't seem to be put into the same category as something like you know, the Chainsaw Massacre or Saw or right. something like that. You know, it's a right. different kind of horror. It seems. Yep. Yep. If they kind of, if they can sugarcoat it a little bit, you know, I mean, Stranger Things has done a ton, I think, for the genre, you know, and, and brought so many people into the fold and opened it up for so many people that, that wouldn't normally have picked up a book that had some of that description, you know, that, that, that we'd veer away from normally. So, I mean, I think it's cool. I love Stranger Things and I know a lot of people kind of, you know, thumb their nose at it a little bit from the horror community and whatnot, just because it's, like you said, it's so steeped in nostalgia and, and, and whatnot that it gets at times silly and whatever, but it's, it's meant to be silly and fun, I think. And it's, it's meant to kind of throw back to those days where, you know, the scares were a little more innocent and a little, you know, but, uh, but it has its moments too. It has its creepy moments. So it's, I think it's done a lot for, for the genre. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So take us back to 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. What were you doing at the time? What were you seeing happening in the industry and, and sort of what got you to the point where you were thinking like, Hey, I want to, I think I can try this self-publishing thing. Right. You know, it's like I've always been interested in writing, but when I started really uh, in college, when I kind of started narrowing my ideas about what I could do when I graduated Mm -hmm. and I I majored in everything, I took as many English classes as I could, you know, literature and English classes, creative writing classes. And I went to my um, my guidance counselor the one day and I said, you know, what am am I going to be able to do with an English degree? He's like, well, you can teach English. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, you can be a journalist. And I was like, you know, journalism is fine and important, but that's not me either. And uh, he just kind of, I said, well, he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I kind of want to be just an author, a freelance writer, something like that. And he's like, yeah, we don't have degrees for that. He's like, you know, and he kind of, so it was funny because I'd always written, but then when I started delving into it, it was like, well, how do you actually become a writer? And it, it seemed very daunting, you know, the process, you know, finding an agent and then getting a manuscript that they think is worth bringing out to publishers and whatnot. And <clears throat> I just kind of looked at the whole situation. And I thought, I don't know if I'll ever be good enough. I don't know, you know, coming from a very small town and limited resources and whatnot. I thought, how am I going to come into contact with these people where they'll take me seriously or anything like that? And um, I was actually working at a uh, health club. Uh, at the time, back in 2011, when I started getting more and more, I got the itch to kind of start being serious again, you know, and, and it was, you know, that was probably 2009, 2010 is when I started, like, really kind of getting into it. And um, I realized that when I started doing research, then then it was, you know, this whole self-published thing, thing was kind of on the market where I'd, I'd never noticed it before and never seen much about it. And Kindle was becoming really, really popular. And, you know, I jumped on Jay Conrad's blog and I was reading about, you know, up and up and all his, you know, little insights and different things that he'd gone through and whatnot. And yeah, so I was talking to my wife and I, I said, 
I think this might be a viable option, you know, if not now, very soon in the future, because I'm looking at people that are talking about being full-time off of self-publishing and whatnot. And I thought, well, geez, you know, if, if this has kind of taken a couple of those gatekeepers out of the way that would have prevented me from, from actually getting somebody to read what I was writing, it, it, you know, it might've been an option. So that's, that's what kind of spurred me into kind of develop everything and then getting, you know, all my short stories together and getting cover and getting copy editor and all this stuff. And, um, and yeah, it just took off from there. So it was, it was, it was my own little private Renaissance thing for writing. And it, I thought it was so far out of my reach that I'd never be able to do it. And then it just, it just kept getting better and better from there, the more I did it. So yeah. at, at what point did you know that you could, you could do this? What, what, what was the tipping point for you? I think when I started looking at how my sales were going in general, you know, to kind of touch on the business side a little bit, it, you know, I had to be kind of pragmatic about it, you know, family and you know, mortgage and all these other things, you know, it was, would have been much easier if I was just like a single starving artist living in, you know, my car or whatever, because you, you, you answer only yourself, but you have these responsibilities and you got the day job and, uh, you know, I wasn't getting paid a whole lot, you know, at, at my day job and whatnot. And I was working a lot of hours. I was working between 50 and 60 hours a week. Um, so my son has special needs and my wife was staying home with him, you know? So it's like one of us had to work and it was much easier for one of us to stay home and care for him while the other one went out rather than try to find special care for him when we're both working. So I was working a lot of hours Well, I started, it was just a numbers game. After a while, I started looking at what I was getting paid and I was writing at night You know, I get home from work and I write for two, three hours in the evening. So then it was like taking a look at, you know, how many copies am I selling a day? Uh, what kind of marketing and promotions work and, and what type of standard would I need to hit every month to finally equal my income where then I could be home as well and just put, <laughs> instead of two, three hours a night, put five, six, seven hours during the day to writing and editing and all this stuff. And then it was like the possibilities opened up to say, okay, well, I'm a pretty fast writer anyways. How many books could I write a year? And, you know, it's just kind of became exponential. So then it, it just, everything kind of opened up in general for me. I was like, this is kind of the gateway I was looking for and I, I could, I could do this. I think it could work if, if the sales continue. So, yeah. Yeah. Th that's a nice transition into talking about some of the, the business stuff that I'm, I'm really curious about. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that whether you are traditionally published or self-publishing or a hybrid, uh, you are in fact, if you're, if you're an author in, in this day and age that you're a business person and, and right. you, you have to also run a business. So, how do you how do you manage your business um, specifically? Like, how do you decide when to work on writing versus working on your business? And you know, do you have any help with that? Or you know, what does that look like on a day to day basis for you? Right. I mean, it's been such an evolution, and it's continuing. You know, I'm as you know. I mean, there's so many things to take into account when you're starting to look at the business side of things. Because I would say six seven years ago, somebody could it was much easier to just sit down, write, edit get a great cover, put the book out there and just try and spread the word a little bit and just go on to the next project. And, and things were, things were selling, it was newer and, and things were much easier back then. Um, so, you know, nowadays it's, it's just almost keeping up with the trends. What is, how do you find readers? How do you stay connected with readers? Um, one thing I will, I'll always fall back on this is just continuing to put out work, you know, is, is probably the bedrock of everything. Um, just continuing to write as much as you can, uh, because the more and more you have out there, more people are going to find it. And um, 
I think every project is just so unique unto itself that one may not do really well. It may not connect with people really well. And the next one might skyrocket. It, it might be your bestseller ever. And it might be your fifth book. It might be your 15th book. Um, you just never know when that's going to click with a reader. So I think it's just the, the importance is just sitting down and finishing what you start and always be working on something new. Um, you know, even if you're not creating, editing something, so you're getting it ready to put out in the world and whatnot. Um, so it's, you know, I think it's a constant battle there is just kind of keeping up with what's happening. I mean, it's, you know, Instagram didn't seem to be a real big thing three, four years ago where, you know, with books and whatnot. And now it's like you go on there and it's like every day, if you type in the, you know, some of the hashtag, the bookstagram and things like that, there is just, I mean, there's people with thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers on there that post and, and it's just, they're posting covers and reviews and all these things. And that's, it seems where a lot of people are flocking to, to like kind of get recommendations. And um, so many people are just loving cover design these days, you know, and it's, and it's an art form and whatnot. So it's, um, I think if, if something that, that, you know, your book catches somebody's eye, they're more likely to kind of tap on the link or, or take a look at it and say, well, this is, you know, it's, it's a very visual medium and a lot of the social media platforms now. So it's, if, if you can catch someone's eye and they go, oh, it's a beautiful cover, then they'll, then they'll maybe take a look at the book description. Maybe then they'll either pre-order or they will, uh, you know, click and look at the, uh, the first, you know, sample and, and say, oh, this is, this is great. I love this book. So I think it's just, it's really an evolution just to, just to keep up with what's going on. Um, you know, so many of the, you know, like Amazon with, with the algorithms changing. And I've noticed so many things being monetized that weren't before. Um, Goodreads, different things like that. It's just, it's just an ever-changing, uh, you know, kind of uh, arena that you have to kind of navigate. Um, so, you know, I mean, you're, you're like, you're like, you know, you, you being a provider of, of insight into industry and, and all the people that, that kind of share their knowledge and whatnot is just so vital especially to people starting out, because I think it's just, you can get lost in a sea of information too. And um, so I try to, you know, I try to always, you know, put the work first and then definitely every day dedicate a little time to just kind of thinking about, okay, how am I going to market this next thing? Um, what, what has somebody else done that I've really thought was a cool tactic as far as marketing, um, you know, kind of find new ideas that way and whatnot too. And, um, sometimes it can be kind of limiting. You feel a little helpless because you say, I, you know, I've tried this before and it didn't work. Or I feel like, um, you know, the things that I, I have been doing that worked before aren't working well anymore. But I think it's just always just kind of looking out for the new thing and seeing what catches your own eye and what works, you know, cause I'm a reader first before I was ever a writer. And if, if something catches my eye or I realize somebody's doing something cool, that's kind of what I latch on to and, and try to see if I can kind of adopt it a little bit myself. So, yeah. Yeah. That, there's a, there's a lot of talk right now that we're in a, in a pay to play era and that mm -hmm. if you're not willing to spend money on advertising, you almost have no chance. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Do you agree with that? <clears throat> Two point. Two point. Um, you know, I see so many people that do really well that I know, first and second hand that are spending a lot of money in advertising. And I think there is something to be said there for say you do the work, you do, a, you know, you know, you write a great book, you have a wonderful cover, you got a great description, everything's going for your, your book already. And then you have some cash sitting around to really try and get that book off the ground. It's probably going to do okay. You know, will it, will it break even? Will it go, get ahead? 
probably, maybe. Um, it's never a given, but I would say if you checked all the boxes that, that make a great book anyways, then, you know, having, having that marketing and that big push and, and continuing to push that, I think it, it's, it's just, it's going to help. And, um, but at the, on the same, kind of the other side of the coin, I think if you do all those things and do a little more grassroots things that don't cost as much money and really, really try and get the word out, um, through your different free social media sites, uh, handing out some copies, and, you know, really, really talking to people on different sites uh, about what they're what they're reading now and getting, you know, kind of getting more on the ground uh, with readers. That can be really successful too. Um, you know, I did I've done it before. I just got done doing a thing on Twitter for my new collection coming out. Uh, before I, I'd, I'd say, okay, I'm going to give away an arc. Everybody that retweets this, you know, get your name in the drawing. You know, I'd have a handful, half a dozen, you know, but this one was really, I mean, I had like almost 40 people retweet it and hundreds and thousands of people that seen it and seen the cover and everything like that. Um, that was surprising and really fun to see people grab onto that. So there's still things you can do without spending a lot of money, but it always helps. And it's, it's tough because I would never, I mean, I've had authors email me and ask, you know, about advertising and marketing and what, you know, how much do you spend or what do you, you know, what do you try to spend? And it's like, oh, it's just so hard to say, you know, if, if it was a guarantee, if you say, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars today to make 2000 this month, sure. Every day of the week, twice on Sundays. Right. But it's just, I, you know, I had a close friend of mine say, you know, he was getting into a, a advertising package and it was a lot of money. But he he had a moment when it was it was kind of that breaking point, it's kind of watershed moment where it looked like the sales weren't going to add up, and he was able to kind of back out of the thing. But you know, sometimes you're thousands and thousands of dollars deep in these advertising deals, and you don't know if it's going to pay off. So it's it's really that's I would say that's the toughest part is whether knowing to invest a bunch into marketing or not. You know, so do you place and manage your own ads? Yeah, if I do ads, then I'll do my own my own stuff. Um, you know, write write my own little blurb and stuff to try and you know, pull people in. Um, I've considered, and I, and I'll keep considering because I've worked with a uh, like a PR company before um, through my publisher and whatnot. And I've I've toyed around the idea for some of my future works that maybe self publish if I'm going to approach them and just kind of see, it, you know, what they could do for me on that front with maybe you know obviously like a lower budget. But you know, having that door open then again it's another avenue that you can kind of pursue, um, you know, to see what, what you can do with, with an advertising company or a, a PR firm like that. Um, but again, it's, it's a little bit of a roll of the dice, you know, whenever you get into those things, cause there's no guarantees. It's so tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, yeah. I think for a lot of these conversations, the elephant in the room is always Amazon. Yeah. Uh, no matter how you feel about them, they're, they're all, they, it, Amazon seems to be a very polarizing, uh, conversation point. And, you know, you are, you're kind of in a unique position in that you, you have been self-publishing, but you, you've had uh, luck with their imprints. I, I'm curious as to what you think the role of Amazon is going to be in publishing as, as we move forward. Like, w w what do you see Amazon's role in all of this? Mm -hmm. um, I think it'll continue to get bigger. Uh, they've, you know, like you said, they already have the market share, you know, the main, main slice of the pie, you know, when it comes to eBooks sold anyways, um, it's, they've made such a platform that's so easy for people to go and get 
um, you know, media and whatnot. So I think it's just going to increase uh, as, as the days go on. I, I do think there needs to be, I'm not, I'm not sure how to put it really. It's, it's really tough because there needs to be a point where authors still have a little bit of leverage. You know what I'm saying? As far as publishing and, and where the line stops, like you said, for advertising and where it becomes untenable to keep publishing uh if, if if it's if there's if it's just unable to sell books uh on a reliable basis if if there's too much like you said pay to play or or you know you have to spend money to get your books seen at all and i've seen you know i've seen over the years that that has it's slowly gone that way um you know for for the different things and the monetization of, of advertising and different things like that and I get it, capitalism and, and all the little things, you know, that, that, that it's just inevitable that things are going to go that way. But um, I, would, I would like to see authors still retain power as far as, you know, the ability to produce material uh, because we're the ones providing content. And, and, you know, we're, of course, we don't have the huge platform that we control ourselves, but we're the ones providing the words and and i think that's gets lost in the phrase sometimes and it should be important it, there should be still a, that kind of ecosystem between a publisher and an author and um with that said i do think amazon will continue to be a powerhouse and i think they will you know gain more and more momentum and i think there will be bigger and bigger names coming over to publish with a lot of these imprints uh, at least dipping their toes in the water you know uh, away from the traditional side and they'll come and just say yeah, this is, I've been hearing good things and this and that. And I mean, we've already seen some, you know, like Dean Koontz and Patricia Cornwell and, you know, some big names, some household names coming over to, to do some book deals and whatnot. So um, I, I, I can't say that that's good or bad. I think it's, I think it could be good for some authors and it could be bad for others having big names associated with imprints and, uh, you know, bigger and bigger fish in the pond. I think there's benefits and drawbacks. Um, but I think nonetheless, I think Amazon will continue to be the powerhouse and it'll be the place to publish. Um, and I don't know. I mean, the, the one good thing is they continue to innovate and that's something a lot of the competitors don't do. And, and they just continue to move forward. And, and I think, I think the progress will, you know, behoove some and, and not others, but, but it's inevitable. They're just going to keep moving forward. Yeah, it is. And I wonder, too, if that it's the nature of how the Internet has evolved. Uh, if you look at Google, you look at Facebook, you look at Amazon, they've all moved away from uh, a certain, this free service uh, to yeah. to incorporating ad paid advertising into it. And right. and so even if, you know, you look at the AMS platform, you know, maybe it's the it's it's, you know, Dean Koontz or maybe it becomes Penguin Random House. But you, you have to wonder at some point if the biggest budgets are going to simply squeeze out the the independent authors when you're in a, a cost per click model, because, you know, there's only so much budget you have. And if you if you're outbid by, you know, big corporations or really big name authors right. and, and you've lost the discoverability on also bots or you've you've um taken they've taken their foot off the algorithm and and reviews aren't aren't factored in and you know if it starts to go that route it's not necessarily on amazon but it is them creating an atmosphere where it's going to make it really difficult for the more independent uh, authors or, or small presses to to get their books on the platform right 
right. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's progress, but at the same time, like you said, it can be kind of scary because, um, you know, what, what was, and it goes back to the marketing thing. Whereas before it was putting out the content and, and doing checking the boxes and, and your book would do pretty well. And now things have changed a little bit. And I think it's, you know, and it's a lot to do with obviously their, their, their progress and their moving forward and stuff. But at the same time, it's, it's a lot to do with so many authors and, and new authors and so many books and the content has just been, it's time, which is, it's great for the reader. There's so many things to choose from, but then yes, it's sometimes, you know, your signal gets lost in the noise a little bit too. So, um, it's tough. It's, it's just, it's, it's an, it's a crazy industry. Like Richard Brown and I were talking the other day about it, you know, it's, it's such a wild industry. It's such a different industry than so many other jobs and whatnot. It's just, it's just, it's just crazy. So, it is. And, yeah. and that's a, that's a great way to come full circle on this. And, and the last question I want to ask you today is given everything we've talked about and, and the volatility and the, and the unpredictable nature of this industry, what is your personal approach to the business of writing? And you can answer that however you want. Sure. My personal approach, I mean, I, I'll just kind of reiterate, you know, is just always finishing what you start, you know, is, is falling in love with your idea and, and, and following through on it and, and, just producing the best book you can. Uh, when you have that, it's 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 your greatest marketing tool that you have. As soon as, as soon as somebody opens the book, and when you've combed through it and polished it like a stone over a period of months and sometimes years, it's undeniable when somebody picks it up. It's not going to be for everybody, but most of the time, people will readers, astute readers especially, when they pick up a book that somebody's poured their their heart and soul into, and they put a lot of just sweat and and just work into you know there's the, the art, artistic side and then there's just the work side where you're toiling away just making sure everything's in place when they see that i think it's just really undeniable um when they see the product of themselves and they still word of mouth i think is the greatest marketing tool so when you write a great book and people talk about it you know i've had people you know hit me up on facebook and twitter and things like that and uh that's half the time they'll say well my friend told me about this or you know so and so you know, introduce me to your work. Uh, and I just fell in love with it. So I think, I think that's the bedrock for everything. And, and at the same time, it's, it's, yeah, trying to keep up with the trends, trying to make sense of the, all the changes that come your way. Um, you know, keeping, keeping your finger on the pulse of, of everything in marketing and what's happening and listening to the podcasts and, and reading some of the blogs still that people put out and the successes they've had and the failures too. It's, it's worth noting what doesn't work and, and, people I think can pound their head against the wall too many hours of the day and they're not getting the returns. So, you know, combing out the things that don't work anymore is really important too, to finding the things that do work. Um, so it's, it's just an ever learning process. It's, it's the same thing I apply to my own writing is that you're always trying to become a better writer. It's the same thing with business. It's, you're always trying to become you know, a better business person or marketing person um, and connecting with the readers. So, yeah. Yeah. That's inspiring, man. I mean, if, if we know that word of mouth still works, then, then there's hope for all of us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Always hope. Always. All right. There it is. Uh, the interview with Joe Hart and, uh, you know, JD, I, the, the first thing I thought of, um, was you when he started talking about the difference between horror and thrillers. 
<laughs> you know, it, it's funny that the thought that popped into my head, you, you brought up the image of a horror writer and how other people kind of look at us. And like, I, I get that all the time. Uh, you know, like people give me like this weird little sidelong stare, like, cause I've killed a lot of people in, <laughs> on, on paper, on paper being the distinguishing factor there. Um, but you know, everybody, you know, as a reader, I think they assume that, you know, like whatever you put down on paper, like that's the kind of person you really are. Like, you know, they, they see those characters as a, as a reflection of the author. And for me anyway, that's not necessarily true. Um, I'm sure there are authors out there that are, you know, do write a little bit more biographical when it comes to this kind of thing. But I think for the most of us, we're, we're, you know, we're just making this stuff up. And, um, but yeah, people do look at you a little weird and, and there is a, a, a strange distinction between, you know, like he had brought up horror and thriller, you know, like I, I, you know, even on the sales side or when, you know, agents are going out there to publishers, like, you know, like that's why I build myself as, as a uh, suspense author, um, because it seems to walk that a little bit of a line. Um, you know, Dean Koontz had told me a long time ago that he spent year, years trying to get that horror moniker taken off his name because he didn't feel that it fit. Um, but one of his first books that, that hit was a horror book. So, you know, the publishers just stuck it, you know, they, yep. it was on every single book, every advertisement, like they just tried to drill that point home, even though him as the author, he was back there going, no, 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 that's not me. Um, they, they did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, what other things caught your attention in this interview? Uh, Fight Club. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love. I mean, the, the movie's fantastic, but the, the book, like, if an author, you know, if you're an aspiring author, you're an established author, or whatever, you got to read that book. Yep. Um, it, I mean, it's it's not very long, but it, it's just so well written. Like the way that he does the reveal for you know for that story is just incredible. Um, and, it, and it's one of my all time favorites, you know, there, there's few books that I've gone back and, and read multiple times. And, and that's definitely one of them. Yes. Um, and, and Metallica is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely going to get the metal metal in there. Yeah. Yeah. When, when he brought up talking to his professor and said, what am I going to be able to do with my English degree? Um, <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, honestly, like, what do you do? Like my, you know, I've, I've got friends who have art appreciation degrees, you know, that yeah. it's a, a fun topic. You know, there's so many of those They're they're fun topics to study, but then you get out in the real world and like, where, where do you actually go with that? Um, I, I don't have a degree in English. Anybody listening to this podcast could probably tell, <laughs> um, you know, my, my degrees are in, uh, I've got one in information technology, another one in business. And I got halfway through a psychology degree. Um, before I, you know, realized how much student loan debt I was racking up and, <laughs> um, and, and now I get paid to make shit up and like everything I've learned about writing has come from reading yeah. and, you know, and you know, like I, I've absorbed structure, I've absorbed pacing, like, you know, all that stuff. It's all come just from just reading good books. I mean, when I, I when a book hits the, hits the bestseller list, I tend to pick it up and I read it and then I go back and I dissect it. You know, I try to figure out why is this book on the bestseller list? Um, that that's where my education came from. Like I, I would be afraid to go to school right now for like an MFA program um, because for whatever reason, I've kind of stumbled into a formula that works and I, and I don't want to screw with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, and, and I think that ties into something that Joe brought up and, you know, talking about just writing as much as you can, like uh, reading and writing. Like I think sometimes we overthink the process, the craft, or what should we be doing? And, and really those are the, those are the two core activities for any novelist. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, every time you pick up a good book and you read it, you're learning a little bit more about the craft, whether it's on a subconscious level or whether you're actually picking it apart and going through it with a highlighter. Um, and, and, you know, you've probably heard this a million times, but the best way to sell your current book is writing the next book. Um, yeah, there's, that's that's always the best advertisement uh, that you could have out there. Um, he, had, he had brought up the pay to play thing, too. And, yeah. um, you know, 
that's another one. Like, I, I, I do believe that that's where we're heading. I, I don't think we're going to have a choice. If you're going to want to get noticed in, in this environment, especially a couple of years from now, I think you're going to have to be willing to pay to play. Um, but at the same time, the only advertisement that really works well is word of mouth. Um, it, that's always outshined every other, you know, whether it's television ads or you know, print ads or pay to play you know, all that kind of stuff. Like word of mouth is what has always turned, you know, a widget into a best-selling widget. Yeah. Um, so just something to keep in mind, like as, as you're you know going through and you're editing your own book, like it's, it's gotta be that five-star read. If, if people aren't closing the cover on that last page and, you know, reaching out to four or five of their friends going, holy crap, you need to read this. Um, you got to go back. You got to look at it again because you need that book to, to do that in order to, to sustain yourself. Um, something else that just kind of came up, I was just kind of, while I was listening to him is, you know, you know, where exactly is the industry itself going? Um, you know, we ask everybody that question and Simon and Schuster right now is for sale. Um, I just, I just heard, you know, they have been for, for a little while now. Um, I just heard that uh, another Barnes and Noble closed this one near my father-in-law's house. He was talking to my wife the other day and uh, it's in Coral Springs, Florida, but they, they shuttered it. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of Barnes and Nobles that are closing around the country. Um, I know they're remodeling a lot of the other ones, but it, it got me thinking like, what would happen if Barnes and Noble were to buy Simon and Schuster? Um, then I looked at the market caps and realized that couldn't happen because Barnes and Noble is worth about $570 million and Simon and Schuster is worth one and a half billion. Um, but like you could reverse that formula. What happens if Simon and Schuster decides to buy Barnes and Noble? Um, Cause I think something like, like that, like another out of the out, outside the box kind of business deal is going to have to happen in, in order to give Amazon the competition that they're going to need um, down the, down the road. And I think Barnes and Noble somehow figures into that with them being owned by a hedge fund right now. Uh, I, I think that's huge because the people behind that hedge fund are, are open to doing something different. They're not coming out of the book world. They're right. coming out of the business world. You know, how do we take this business and turn it into, you know, a much larger business? Um, so something like that I, I could see happening. Um, you know, whether or not the government would let it happen is another story because, you know, it may be considered an antitrust thing. Hmm. Uh, but, but who knows? Um, so that, that's kind of where, where my head's at because I, I do see Barnes & Noble reopening, you know, again, when this is all over. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if the number of stores gets cut in half. And I think they were at 600 and change um, before all this happened. Um, so, you know, maybe they reopen with 350, 400 stores, you know, something like yeah. that. But, um, but who knows? What, what, what did you take out of the, the conversation? Yeah, I, I, I really like talking to Joe because he, he just feels like an average, like down to earth guy. You know, there's nothing pretentious about him or anything. He, he's, he's just a really great guy. And I loved, um, I loved how he talked about, um, you know, transitioning from the day job and, and, and how, how he had to do that and, you know, getting up early and, and doing it with kids and, um, it's just really relatable. And, uh, and I think it's uh, Joe can be a great inspiration for folks who might be writing in the evenings or on weekends and have aspirations of doing it full time at some point. Yeah, well, he's got one of those stories that, you know, we, we've heard a bunch of times, you know, but but because it works, you know, you, you've got the person who's willing to put in the extra time their work, you know, he said 50, 60 hours a week, that's what he was working before. You know, he, he found time to write, you know, away from that, ended up getting that first book done, got the second book done, started advertising, started generating some income, and, you know, eventually was able to turn that into a full time writing gig. Um, you know, this is a formula that we've, we've heard, you know, repeated from a number of different guests on here. And I probably heard it a thousand times from people I've talked to over the years. So it's, right. it's not magic. You know, it, it's something, you know, anybody with a lot of, you know, with drive behind them can, can accomplish it, yep. but it's, it's good to hear somebody else, you know, somebody else out there doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation with Joe. Like I said, great guy, check him out. Um, r really valuable stuff.
All right. So next week we've got uh, Adam Croft, right? Yeah, Adam. Adam had a a, a big hit on his hands with a. And we'll tease you guys a little bit. Um, he had a killer tagline for his book, and uh, and really kind of made the podcast rounds a few years ago because it it just sold like wildfire. And and he's a great writer. But uh, but the hook is something you won't ever forget. So you're gonna have to tune in next week to find out what it is. But uh, yeah, Ad- Adam Croft is up next week. All right, looking forward to it. Yeah. So to our listeners, we appreciate your support. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Until next time, have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.